0: Welcome to your digital reputation. Here's your host, Roger Christie.
1: Hello, and thanks for joining us. My name is Roger Christie, founder of Propel and LinkedIn advisor to leaders who know the value of a strong digital reputation. And I have a very special guest in the studio today. She's a CEO who, when I first stumbled across her efforts on LinkedIn, proved to me that there was more to be gained by leaders stepping up online than staying quiet. And she's here talking with me today to answer the question, why do CEOs need social in their toolkit? Which is fitting, given the example she has set for many, many years herself. She's the CEO of Ampa, the UK's leading group of legal and professional services companies, and its largest law firm, Shakespeare Martineau. She's passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. And she's the sort of leader that Edelman and Brunswick talk about. When they list the attributes of a modern, visible, effective social CEO. And she's joining today from our UK studio, Sarah Walker-Smith. It's a very warm welcome to the Your Digital Reputation podcast.
0: Hi there. Great to be here. Thanks, Roger.
1: Thank you. And, And Sarah, I've been following your journey for a long time. I think that's fair to say. I'm keen though to share some of that story with our listeners today. So maybe we can start there. Your origin story. When and why did you first get active on social media?
0: There's two halves to this story. As a person, if I can do that for a second, rather than a leader, although I'm going to bring the two things together. But in my social life, my personal life, I used social media a lot to promote shows I was in. So one of the things that I do alongside my business career is lots of musical theatre. So I was used to using Facebook and various other things, not so much LinkedIn at that point, but I used Twitter, Facebook, a little bit of Instagram that was in its infancy to promote shows, to connect family and all the usual things that people were using social media for. But I didn't really use it from a business point of view. And I kept the wall almost Like a brick wall between my personal life and my business life. And then the pandemic hit. And about a year before the pandemic, I'd taken on a new role, which was to be the role that you describe now. And I found myself really needing to connect with people in a different way. I was working from my garden shed, which I was isolating away from my family because I'm high risk from a COVID point of view. And I suddenly thought, I I felt that I couldn't connect with people. And of course, I've been used to connecting with lots of people face to face from a business point of view at networking events, all the people in my business by traveling around the offices and, and talking to people. And I felt hugely remote. And the big calling I got really in 2020 was that I had to get very visible very quickly. And social media was such an obvious way of doing it. And what I found again, very quickly was that I could talk to both an internal and external audience at the same time. And I suddenly blurred that boundary. So I was using social media, particularly LinkedIn, a bit of Twitter, but particularly LinkedIn at that point to really keep connected with both my internal and external networks. And that's what pulled me into it was the sense that I had to be visible and I had to be connected. And that connection needed to be relevant. It needed to be fast. It needed to be two-way. And above all, it needed to be authentic. And that's where this kind of blurred boundary started. I showed up as me and I stopped. I took the wall away and I'm sure we'll get into more of that. But but I wasn't just talking about business. I was, talking about anything and everything. And, and it was a sense of, of really being called into it and pulled into it because of the pandemic.
1: You've mentioned a couple of words there that, as you say, I'm sure we're going to talk to or explore in more detail around visibility and authenticity. But I think the idea of necessity is what I heard through what you were saying there. There was a need to be visible and to be authentic, to connect with people, as you said, both in and outside the business at that time. Not every leader is going to have that same necessity as all obvious as yours? You you felt like there was no choice in that particular situation. I would argue that I think a lot of leaders still look at social media and LinkedIn in particular as an optional extra. It's not something that they need, but do you feel that that's a bit of a challenge, that kind of how would you describe it, that apathy towards social media?
0: I do. And there's a number of thoughts that spring to mind as you say that. I mean, the first one is you could argue then that now that the world has gone back to quotes normal, although of course it hasn't, but we have the superficiality of normality, if I can say that out there, you could argue, well, that necessity not there anymore. But for me, actually, it's still there. Absolutely, it's still there. So it wasn't a temporary situation that needed fixing. It opened my mind to an entirely new way of communicating and showing up and not being afraid of it. And that leads me on to the second point about what might be the apathy, as you call it, for other leaders. I think there's fear and apathy. I think the apathy is born from not seeing how helpful this is and not understanding what people need now and the very visible, authentic type of leadership that's required in times like these. And just because we're through the worst of the pandemic, perhaps, the challenges that lie ahead are just As important as that. And we need to show up as leaders and show up wholly as leaders. So, so the apathy point, I, I simply don't get now. I, I was changed permanently when this happened. I saw it in an entirely different way. It was like somebody ripped up the leadership playbook and not only rewrote it, I found we were rewriting it. I mean, it was an empty book and we had to write it. And I think that continues. But I think the second point is fear. I speak to lots of leaders who say, Oh, you're so brave. No, I'm not. I'm not remotely brave. I'm purposeful. What's the worst that could happen? I wrote an article recently, the leading publication for the legal profession in the UK is called The Lawyer. And they approached me and said, you still remain one of the few law firm leaders that seems willing to express an opinion about politics. Would you write an article for us? And that's very, very true. I think lots of people have rocked up around all sorts of things, but they're on safe ground. I think we need to expand what that safe ground is and open up the dialogue. But I know lots of leaders are fearful. And after I wrote that article in The Lawyer that was published on so social media, what was really interesting was very few people liked or engaged with the social media post, but I was inundated with personal messages of people saying to me, good for you, keep going. And I just wonder what it is. I'm really curious that other leaders, are ter- if they can see it's the right thing to do, what is terrifying them to think that they can't do it? Because I have not had any negative experience since I've done this. Now, I'm tempting fate by saying this. And every time I post, I wait for the trolls and I'm sure we'll come to this, but there are ways that you can do it that doesn't attract the really negative repercussions.
1: And I think you may have already given a very big clue for our listeners, which was that word per Purposeful, which I'm sure we'll revisit through this conversation, because I personally believe that that is the secret for every single leader. The more purposeful you are, the more likely you are to avoid risk. We will definitely dip into that now, Sarah. I think for the benefit of our listeners, particularly those who might be over this side of the world as opposed to yours, I think it's worthwhile just picking into what you were just saying before about, and, and even that you know the article with the lawyer is a great example and the way that they approached you about that. You do lead a group of legal and professional service businesses that was ranked as one of the top. 100 best large companies to work for in the uk it's a sector that's not necessarily known as you were saying for being visible or vocal on social media and despite all this your size your reputation the industry context you're still very active and as you said tackling some of the really important and also complex issues on social media why
0: I honestly believe it's part of the leader's role. I think we've blurred the boundaries. And by that, there are several blowings of several boundaries that I can probably refer to. The first one is that our sector has traditionally been really insular. People in the sector talk within the sector to each other. Well, we need to blow that apart. We need to see this as a horizontal, not a vertical. And we are, as a legal sector, also businesses with people that work for us. We look after a vast array of different clients across different sectors and everything. We need to stop just talking to the legal sector and talk more broadly as businesses. And I suspect one of the reasons that I'm more comfortable doing that is, I think this may be true. I haven't checked recently, but I think I'm the only non-lawyer leader of a large law firm in the UK. There are other non-lawyer leaders, but they tend to be of smaller firms. So I probably feel more comfortable opening up and blurring the boundaries between what's the law and what's business. And that's one reason, perhaps. The second boundary we need to blur is the boundary between internal and external. And as I said, I realized that LinkedIn, for example, which was the primary tool that I started using really when I ramped up my business voice, really can talk to your internal and external audience at the same point. But also it's a it's an engagement tool. It's two ways. So we're making the dialogue interactive and two way. And we're blurring that boundary between internal and external. Why do we need to do that? Because we have to be our brand. And the brand that we have to be, you can't be something different internally to externally. So if you really want to rock up as an authentic leader, you need to be willing to say what you feel like saying to any audience, whether it's internal or external. And that gives the authority and the authenticity to to your brand as well. So for me, you, you can't half show up. And the other thing is, particularly in the challenging types that we have at the moment. I just had this phrase that started resonating with me recently, which is leadership is not a spectator sport, particularly in the UK at the moment, but I'm sure this is true globally. Leadership is needed now more than certainly in our lifetimes. There were times, of course, in the last century where there were some some particular moments of crisis and very collaborative, very brave, very long-term, very purposeful leadership was needed. And the solutions that we need to put in place, there isn't any one sector or whether it's government or business that can own this and fix it. We need to work together to do it. So for me, leadership is not a spectator sport. We have to get on the pitch and work together to fix the things beyond the boundaries of our own organizations. So that's my final blowing, if you like. I, I think the role of business leaders now needs to be to help fix some of the much more systematic infrastructural challenges around society, around the economy, around the planet. And I think we have to get on the pitch together and help fix these things. And being very vocal on social media is one way of doing that.
1: I think that that really ties in nicely with what you were saying right at the start, Sarah, which is this idea of you need to start talking with others. You need to start blurring those boundaries, as you were saying, and and connecting that to what you were saying at the start about leaders and being fearful. I mean, whether leaders want to embrace this environment or not, I think the sense I'm getting from what you're saying is that the rest of the world has, if I can kind of bucket people up as the rest of the world. Every other stakeholder group has adapted. Maybe it was as a result of the pandemic, as you said. And so if there is a cohort that's opting out of that, then that cohort is opting out of engagement with those audiences that, as you say, need to work together to collaboratively to solve some of these really complex issues around the world. So there's no longer an option almost to half show up.
0: Yeah, exactly. Leadership now, it goes beyond the boundaries of your own organization. I believe it fully. And of course, if you get this right, it also benefits your own organization. Because that's the other thing that I've had people say to me, thankfully not in my own business, but in other businesses, why aren't you doing the day job? And my response is, this is the day job. You can't separate the two things. I mean, it's one of the reasons that, that we became a B Corporation as well, is to hold ourselves to account to say that we are doing really well as a business. I'm a capitalist at heart. I believe very strongly in having successful, prosperous business and thriving business and business obviously being at the heart of driving the economy. Businesses need to be profitable to continue and to continue to be able to do that. But I think you can have purpose and profit at the same time. And I think that's the obligation of any business leader now is to demonstrate that.
1: You talked earlier on about that article with the lawyer. I want to bring another article in here that I remember reading last year that you wrote for Business Influencer Magazine. And actually, to be fair, it was probably the catalyst for the conversation we're having today. And the title of that was Why Social Media is an Essential Part of a Leader's Toolkit. And I'd actually strongly suggest that every leader and advisor read that article. It is absolutely spot on. But what I wanted to do was just share a little snippet from the very start of that article where you wrote, historically, leaders would sit in a proverbial ivory tower behind a wall of glass, guarded by their PA. Direct conversations didn't come easy unless you were high up the food chain. And the only time you heard from the CEO or MD was in an internal newsletter or external media piece written by marketing. But times have changed. When you said times have changed there, Sarah, are you talking about the pandemic or is it? Other things going on here? Why do CEOs, why do you so strongly believe CEOs have to have social in their toolkit?
0: I think we can fall into the trap of thinking this is just about the pandemic. I actually think now it's like the scales were lifted from my eyes. And I went back recently, I had to do a keynote last year um, and I was asked a really, really crazy question, which is, what do you see is going to happen in the legal sector in the next 10 years? I thought, crikey, what's going to happen in the world and therefore the legal sector in the next 10 years? And I thought, well, how the heck do I know? Um, It's just nobody knows. This is the problem. But what I did in, in preparation for that was I went back and started looking at other crime points in history. And of course, for us in the UK, we've we've got several things going on. Like everybody, we have the climate crisis, which is manifesting itself with some crazy extreme temperatures and, and things that we're not used to seeing here in the UK. We've got a huge storm hitting as we speak. There's flood warnings, red warning alerts out there at a time of year we wouldn't normally have this. So there's all of that going on, which even if you're a climate crisis denier, you can't deny we are hitting into some really systematic infrastructure challenges, which are messing up all sorts of things around the UK. Because of the extreme weather that we're facing at the moment. So we've got that going on. We've got obviously. A cost of living crisis here. We have inflation that is stubborn. It's down a bit, but it's really knocking us. We've got still the scars of the pandemic. And of course, we've got the joy of Brexit as well, which has caused the UK some really big challenges, whether it's supply and demand of labour, for example, or just the additional red tape to do trade with our biggest trade partner, the European Union. So there's a whole load of things converging. It's not just the pandemic. And I think there's also something that's been building up for the last 20 or 30 years, which was the way we have created prosperity is not sustainable. And I won't get into the, the heart of that because I'll be going off into an economics lecture for you, which you probably don't <laughs> wouldn't thank me for. We'll run a second podcast. Yeah, exactly. But the point here is these are things actually that we can we can think of just being caused by the pandemic, but that was possibly the straw that broke the camel's back. So coming back to what has changed, we cannot do in the next 30 years as a country or businesses within our country, or indeed as a planet, what we did in the last 30 years. We cannot drive prosperity that way. We cannot drive change that way. We cannot deal with the systematic issues. And all these issues are kind of bubbling up now. Partly, it's what I said before, which is leaders need to be on the pitch to help fix it. But, More crucially, we need to be in a dialogue with each other and with people and we need to listen and we need to be far, far more connected than we were before. And what I used to feel was happening was there was a lot of edicts coming from the top and communication was far, far more top down. I think that pyramid needs to be reversed and leaders need to be primarily in listening mode now and connecting mode and understanding, really understanding what's going on because nobody can fix this individually. And the more we listen and hear and have an open mind and are willing to change our perspective about things, the more we'll find a different solution for the future. Because to quote Einstein, you know, if we keep doing the same things and expecting a different outcome, that's the definition of insanity. So we are going to have to do things differently. And our job as leaders now, I just see an inverse pyramid where we have to pull that collective knowledge, that collective hope, that collective fear, and respond in a different way to the way we used to. And social media for me is that gateway. It's that that connection. It's... It's plugging us in to help do some of that.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Your Digital Reputation podcast. Now, whether this is your very first episode or you're a fully-fledged subscriber, I want to share an exclusive invitation with you. I want to invite you to join the one program that will help you take greater control of your digital reputation and help you kick some real goals on LinkedIn. It's our Your Digital Reputation LinkedIn for Leaders program, a one-month program built off the back of hundreds of conversations with leaders and 30,000-odd hours advising them on LinkedIn. By joining the program, you'll get access to a range of planning frameworks, best practice guidelines, and one-on-one coaching with me, Roger Christie, to help you avoid common LinkedIn mistakes and get real value for your efforts all that value in just one month to ensure you're set up for success well into the future. So, what are you waiting for? If you're looking for a LinkedIn for Leaders program, feel free to hit pause on this episode right now and drop me an email at rchristie at propelgroup.com.au or go to www.propelgroup.com.au for more details. I'd love to help you amplify your impact and show you just how powerful a business tool LinkedIn can be. All right, back to this episode. I want to pick up on that idea of listening, Sarah, because I also agree with you. I think um, leaders, when they're first exposed to social media or, or they're suggested that they hop on social media, I think the natural assumption that goes along with that is to talk. And what you said there is that actually now is a really important time to listen. I do feel like there's a balance there. Don't get me wrong. I feel like social media could be used a lot more for listening than it is um, talking at the moment, broadcasting in particular. But I feel like there's still a role here for leaders to play in leading conversations. That requires good listening, but it's almost like, listening to read the room to understand stakeholder needs and social media as we as we know is almost like the best global focus group you could possibly ask for uh, when you know how to use it of course but accessing the right information from stakeholders to understand the issues identifying potential partners and collaborators as you were saying before to help you solve some of these gnarly issues but then talking about the change that's happening as a result and i think even Not only talking about the things that are being done and taking a leadership position on the things that you want to change, but even talking about the process that you've gone through in listening, collaborating, working together to solve the problem. Doing that in the very public and visible environment of social media and scalable environment of social media is an incredibly empowering mechanism to say to other people, we don't have the answers right now. I'm taking time to listen, learn and change. I'd love you to come on that journey with me." And all of a sudden you've activated an entire global army of people who want to see positive change in the world.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And this works on two levels. This is the beauty of it. So it works on the, the real quality level of gathering insight, of connecting, of understanding and all the rest of it. But on a really basic level, the more engagement you get with anything you post on LinkedIn will push it up the algorithms, which will actually get you into a virtuous circle of more engagement, more followers, more connections. So it's a win-win situation. If you make it engaging, you will see the results come back of doing that because of just the way the algorithms are programmed. I've been on this journey by complete accident. But I've started to observe and see and learn what's going on. I did something a year ago on my birthday where somebody had told me I was too old to do something. I just literally turned 54. And somebody, I'll say it, a man in his late 60s told me I was too old to do something. And I felt a sense of absolute fear of utter frustration. And I could have gone on there and absolutely ranted. And I I pulled back the ranting, but I asked a question. I said, precisely when is the right time for a woman to focus on her career? It caused a storm because... There were so many other people that related to my experience. And my experience was for most of my career, I'd been the youngest person in the room. And I was always told I was too young. Then I had children and I was told, you probably don't want to focus on this right now because you've got kids. My kids are now just, uh, the youngest is 13, the eldest is 20. I'm just getting to that point that I can get on the pitch now and have the freedoms to do some of the things I couldn't do before. And somebody tells me I'm too old. So it felt like there was probably a 30 second window. And what I realized by putting out something so simple to say precisely when is the right time for a woman to focus on their career without being angry or without ranting or being judgmental about the person who said it. The engagement that caused, because I tapped into something that was incredibly relevant, that then made me realize I need to be more of a role model and a spokesperson for not judging people by how many birthdays they've had. So it gave me something back that says, okay, there's a seam here that there's a role for a visible leader to take something like this on. So I got so much back out of doing that. And I also got hundreds of thousands of engagements with that. And it was reposted, it was picked up all over the place. And it was probably the simplest post I ever made because it was relevant. Absolutely.
1: And you've allowed yourself to tap into that, um, you know, that idea that, as you said, spread like wildfire by the sound of it, because. You were very clear on your purpose and why you were there, and the impact you are wanting to have. And so you're therefore yeah. also, and I think this is a message leaders need to hear: is that you are, as we said, right at the start, you're limiting your risk even by making comments that others might find, you know, potentially provocative. It's not provocative if it comes from the right place with a constructive outcome in mind. And I think you know 100%. what's followed off the back of that is obviously evidence of um, you know that playing out. Now, Sarah, you're describing what seems to be a very sophisticated, very purposeful, as you said accidental to start with, I, I might, I'll give you that, but it's certainly not now. And I'm, <laughs> I'm hearing a, a kind of mature and established social media rhythm that you've got. How much time do you make in your, let's say, just call an average week on LinkedIn, how much time do you actually put aside for posting, engagement, making connections, that sort of stuff in an average week?
0: I can't tell you how much time because I genuinely don't know because it's integrated into what I do. And that's probably the biggest part. It's not a separate thing. I don't go, oh, I must do an hour on LinkedIn this week. But what I do is I multitask. I utilize any time that I've got when it's otherwise potentially dead to time. So I went for a COVID vaccination yesterday. I sat in the waiting room on LinkedIn. I take my my youngest to, to clubs and things like that. And I would sit whilst waiting for him, either writing a post or going on LinkedIn. My husband goes for a run or he's a triathlete. So he's, you know, he's off doing stuff like that. I go, right, I've got a couple of hours. I'm going to research and write an article. But the other thing I do is I gather things. It's a bit like I'm a forager. So I gather stuff as it, comes, but I don't use it straight away. So I've got a system with just in notes on my iPhone, actually, um, where I'll see something, I'll see a post or I'll have an idea. I just forage and gather these things. And then eventually a number of them converge. And I think right now I'm going to write an article or make a little video or, or whatever it may be. So I'm constantly just gathering stuff. And then I know when the time is right. So I'm multi task and use my time when I can and integrate it. The other thing I'd say to you though, Roger, is I've probably been less active recently in terms of putting posts out, but I've gone into listening mode. So I spend a lot of time scrolling, reading other people's research, looking at things that are on that. I'm I'm properly in listening mode at the moment. And I know I will be back out there into broadcasting mode quite soon, but I really felt that I needed to just almost retrench and just forage a bit longer. And then the content will come back out again. Because what you should never do is force yourself into a cadence artificially, because then it won't be authentic. And it will feel like you're just pushing stuff out there. I kind of know when it's instinctively right to put something out because it's connected back to purpose. And I follow my instincts on that. I couldn't tell you how much time I spend because it's all part of the day job.
1: You know what's funny about that, Sarah? So I get asked that question all the time, which is why I'm always interested to hear what leaders say, what different leaders say about the amount of time they spend. And the answer I give is not that dissimilar to yours in the sense that you should never allocate time to write something. My view is you should always allocate time to listen. And I think that there's value in listening on a regular rhythm or regular basis, because that way you are dipping in and out of conversations. Utilizing time, as you were saying, I think is a really good way of looking at it. But dedicating regular time to listen, because if you dedicate regular time to listen, you'll make time to say something. And as you have described it, there are ebbs and flows, there are ups and downs and you're gathering, you're foraging to borrow your term, that information from people. And I'm sure when you come back out, it will be with something that is really purposeful and meaningful because you've spent that time listening and absorbing and thinking. So I 100% back up what you've just said there.
0: I used to work in retail. We used to talk about considered purchases and impulse purchases. And actually it's a very similar thing. So the, the bigger pieces that I write are those foraged They've permeated. I've considered them. I've thought about it. It's been building up for a while. The impulse stuff is when I see something that is so bang on purpose, I have to react to it straight away. An example of that, um, again, I'll, I'll say this whilst I know it's a political hot potato, but our current home secretary was in New York a few weeks ago using language about immigration that made me feel deeply uncomfortable. And without even thinking about it, I reposted something that I'd seen on the BBC website and said, this is not the country I recognize or want to be a part of. And I didn't even think about doing that because it was so impulsive for me. So again, cutting into values and purpose that I had to respond immediately. I've now trust myself enough to know that when I do those impulse responses, as opposed to the considered responses, I can use the right language, the right tone. I can do it in such a way that isn't going to provoke and isn't being nasty about any individual, irrespective of what I think about them, but it it does firmly stake the values that I stand for. So it's taken me a while to get to that, but I now trust my instincts to do the impulse stuff as well as the considered stuff as well.
1: You shared a lot, Sarah, about the effort, the thinking, the consideration that you've put in to social media. I'm really interested to know, if we flip it around and look at the other side, what have you got out of social media? What would you say is, you know, if you were to pick one, the single biggest benefit or return on investment you've got from the things you've done on social media? It might be an example. It might be just more general. What would you point to?
0: It's genuinely so hard to pick one because it's it's been holistic and I see it all interconnected. A general one would be recruitment for the business. The people who join our business know what they're joining and tend to want to be part of this. And we have seen a big change in not only recruitment, but retention, actually. So so I think it's been incredibly relevant to our people that they know what we stand for and they know what I stand for. We've seen a step change in our recruitment and retention. So that's probably the biggest generic one. Very specifically, I posted something on Twitter. The When we went into lockdown in the UK, which was March 2020, three things just absolutely hit me, which was, you know, be brave, be honest, be kind. And this is the moment that we need real leadership. And I just bunged that onto Twitter without really thinking about it. Bizarrely, two years later, a wonderful, incredibly influential person called John O'Brien reposted that two years after I'd originally posted it and said, this sounds like leadership to me. I contacted him to say that's so kind of you. Thank you for doing that. The short version of what happened since, which is about 18 months later, is I'm now part of a group leading a major Davos style movement in the UK that's going on at the Eden Project. And we're back there in in another week. It's called Anthropy. And that was all from a single Twitter post that I did two years ago. So you never know when the investment will come back as well.
1: Anyone, anytime, anywhere. One of the things that I think people fear about social media, but as you've described it, it's an incredibly powerful concept. When you are using it purposefully, you free your ideas up to reach people at times when you're not even awake. You know, It's years down the track, as you say. It gives you that scale as a leader to truly leave a legacy.
0: Yeah, exactly. You don't overthink it. Don't overplan it.
1: Absolutely right. Again, coming from a clear purpose. You mentioned be brave, be honest, be kind there. And I know that I remember that from your business influencer articles as well, where you gave some tips to leaders around what to do. And this is, this was the list that really struck me, Sarah. You talked about, you know, what's your why? You're encouraging leaders to find your why. And we've touched on purpose a lot today. Encourage them to use LinkedIn and really understand the platform to observe listening. We've talked about, to post about things you know and know well. One of the things you said was do it yourself. That's a very clear message to send to people. And I want to know for for leaders who might still be sitting on the fence or finding their voice, whatever it is, you're very clear in your messaging. Do it yourself. Why?
0: How can you possibly use your voice if it's not you? I know some senior people who say, I just don't have time for this. So I've got an agency doing it for me. No, they're not doing it for you. They're just checking stuff out into social media you can't get somebody to do this for you. They can do something for you, but it won't be successful. It'll be anodyne. Quite frankly, it will be like any other bit of noise that's out there. If you want to be authentic, how can you delegate authenticity? I just, it just makes no sense to me. You, you can't ask somebody else to be authentic for you. And the do it yourself bit is because also you're fundamentally missing the point. If you've delegated this and have got somebody else doing it, For you? How are you listening? How are you engaging? How are you connecting with people? You can't move this to someone else. It's just, it has to be at the core. And if it's your purpose and your why and your voice, you have to do it yourself. And I can't even begin to say how much it's transformed me as a leader. I am a better leader. Oh, gosh, I've got so much to learn and so much more still to do. But in my leadership journey, I am a significantly better leader now since I started using social media properly, not just trying to push stuff out there and tell people what our business does.
1: Wonderful encouragement. And and what I love most about your example, Sarah, and what we've covered in this episode, you've broken down so many of the myths that I think people hold up or choose to accept around leaders' use of social media, particularly those in highly regulated, scrutinized or sensitive industries. I mean, as we've said, you're the CEO of a group of legal and professional services firms, yet you're visible, you're vocal You don't shy away from those issues that you're passionate about. Uh, And it's been a huge benefit for you, as you said, in attracting and retaining the right people. So on top of all the benefits that you've realised, I genuinely hope that today's conversation is also a source of huge encouragement and practical guidance for other leaders yet to find their feet properly on LinkedIn.
0: And don't just go and talk to me. Yeah,
1: Absolutely, talk to you. No, please do. Sarah is listening. Right now, you've already set expectations. This is a listening zone for you. So find her on LinkedIn, follow her, reach out, have a look at some of her posts and tell her what you think about them. And in the spirit of that idea of learning from one another and collaborating, Sarah, I think let's plug into that. There are people around the world, hopefully, who are going to reach out to you and start new ideas, ideas that you couldn't have come up with on your own. And so I'd encourage everyone and every leader listening today to take that mentality. Imagine how much your leadership could improve and how much your legacy can increase when you take the opportunity to harness a platform that scales like social media. So again, Sarah, thank you so much for making time today and thank you for joining us on the Your Digital Reputation podcast.
0: Pleasure. Thanks again for listening. If you've learned something from today's conversation, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with others. For all show notes, head to propelgroup.com.au. Thanks again for listening.